Good morning, everybody. My name is Alyssa Pritchup. I am very happy to be here with yeah. Chris Moose and Mark Treshock to talk about shaping the trajectory of blockchain in healthcare. What we want to do with the panel is not focus so much on the technology, but more on the impact to the patient and their experiences. And I guess with that, we've already heard this morning um, that blockchain is a tool for enabling trust. And we know trust is critical in delivering quality healthcare and, and really having a good experience in the healthcare system. Um, so with that, it sounds like the solution to everything. But when I hear technology is the solution to everything, I immediately think, no, it's overhyped. So I'm hoping we could start off there with some clarity from, from each of you. Is, is blockchain overhyped, or is it the new kind of solution to all of our healthcare problems? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. So hello, everyone. My name is Mark Treshock. I'm Executive Director of Emerging Technology at CVS Health. Before joining CVS, was, which was just maybe five months ago, I worked at IBM. I was the global solution leader for blockchain and healthcare and life sciences. And I'll talk about an example, a very meaningful example, uh, from my time at IBM, right, just, just to clarify that. So is blockchain overhyped? Is it all just um, BS, right, I think is the, the question. And there certainly is a lot of hype around it. Uh, but I could give you an example, something I had the privilege of working on in, in IBM. You know, we, we helped New York design the Excelsior Pass, which for those of you who don't know, is a digitally cryptographically verifiable proof of vaccination, aka a vaccine passport, which I know is heresy to say here in Texas, so I have to be careful, uh, that New York used to help reopen its economy. And when I left IBM in April, over 10 million Excelsior passes had been downloaded in a state that has 19 million people, right? So blockchain's role in that was very small, it was very specific. Uh, certainly much, much more went into that than just blockchain. But that's a very real example of how the technology is used, was used to, you know, to impact people's lives, right? As, as states struggled to come out of the pandemic. So I would say, you know, I would say no, that there are. Uh, some good examples. Chris? No, I, I'd echo that. And for a quick introduction, Chris Moose with IBM um, on the Linux Foundation for Public Health, uh, the board of that, and also the Austin Healthcare Council, in addition to being with IBM. And I want to kind of echo what Mark was making the, the point there. It's not about blockchain, it's how do you use it to get something else? In the case of the Excelsior Pass in New York, how do you establish trust? Uh, trust of a fact when it doesn't come directly from a medical provider, uh, but you have someone that's self-custodying a fact about their health information. And through blockchain, uh, Mark and the team were able to create these proofs and these signed documents that people could then trust. And so blockchain wasn't the point. The point was that you took trust and you maintained it even though you were taking a fact out of the healthcare system and giving it to someone and allowing them to print it out, hold it on a piece of paper, or have it on their phone. And when you start thinking about, well, what else could I do with this kind of technology? How could I take trust of a fact and use it elsewhere in the healthcare system? I think that's where it gets really interesting. It's less about blockchain, more about how do you enable care. So 
why aren't we seeing blockchain behind more of our experiences in healthcare, and what can we do to change that? Yeah, that, that's a good question too, and I think there's a, a, a couple reasons for this. One, it's because blockchain, when used properly, blockchain is boring, right? It's an infrastructure technology. It would, it, you know, in the case of Excelsior Pass and this, some of the stuff we're doing at CVS, again, it's a critical component, but it's an infrastructure technology. So it honestly needs to go from the spotlight to the back room. I think that's that's one reason. The second is that uh, a lot of projects, a lot of people focus on this from the technology angle only, right? We, we're technologists, we're geeks, we love this. We envision these tech utopias where everything is decentralized and, and records are everywhere and, and whatnot. But the thing to keep in mind and to echo off something that the previous speaker said, blockchain is a team sport, but it's also a social network. And by that I mean so much goes into these projects, successful projects, there's nothing to do with technology. To talk about New York Excelsior Pass for a minute again. So in addition to actually creating the cryptographically verifiable proof of vaccine, there was a whole experience for New Yorkers, a constituent experience. How did they get the Excelsior Pass? What is it? How did they use it? Oh, and in New York? So that was a web portal. Uh, in New York, it was in 12 languages, right? So now you have this multilingual web portal. You also have on the other side uh, an equivalent set of activity around explaining to merchants what they do with it. How does a business accept this? Why would they accept it? How do they accept this? And then, oh, you have a legislative angle because the thesis with Excelsior Pass was if a business accepted the Excelsior Pass, then their liability you know, was waived, right? So, so New York took the responsibility of saying if, if, if you accept this pass, then you have no liability if that person walks into your business and, and has COVID and infects people. So that took a whole legislative process, right? So it's working with the Chamber of Commerce. It was uh, uh, you know, actually legislative actions that took place. So, and, I, and I, to sum this up, I think this is one of the reasons. It's that we view these too much from a tech lens, and we need to view it from this 360-degree lens, right, these projects. That, that blockchain is the thing that gets us to a thing, right, but there's so much more that has to go into it uh, for these to drive adoption. Chris? Uh, I'll build on Mark's comments. I mean, I think there's historical precedent for the journey that we're on right now. And if we look at the evolution of technology, start with Web 1, and then you look at Web 2, and now Web 3, each of them kind of had this, this moment where they were overly, um, I don't know, hyped, and then they, they crashed. And let's just focus about Web 2 for a second. A lot of us probably remember back in the, the 2000s, and people were investing in the internet. Okay, well, yeah, but what, why, what does that mean? Um, if someone were to come back and say, well, I'm going to invest on how you do commerce over the internet. Okay, well, I can get my head around that, and I can see how you can make money on doing that. And we're kind of in that same spot right now with, with blockchain and Web3 in general. People are like, I'm going to go invest in a Web3 company, or I'm going to invest in blockchain. Okay, no, let's talk about, are you going to use it to do commerce differently? Are you going to just intermediate um, and lower fees for consumers? When you start talking about it in that, and you have a real return that you can drive, um, then you've got something that's, that's got some legitimacy. But until we get past, oh, I'm going to go invest in blockchain, it's just a, a meaningless statement. Yeah, so to dig into that a bit more, um, 
can each of you talk or maybe give a use case of something that is happening right now that is using blockchain to improve the patient experience? Yeah, I could give I could give two. One, um, just to build on Excelsior Pass for a moment. So uh, Excelsior Pass focused on on immunization records, right? Simultaneously going on across the country is cryptographically verifiable driver's licenses, MDLs, mobile driver's licenses. Soon you can imagine, it's a forward-looking statement, but soon you can imagine these things coming together, right? So one of the criticisms of Excelsior Pass was that it was a proof of immunization, it wasn't a proof of ID. So I could show you an Excelsior Pass, you could verify it cryptographically, but I could, I could have shown you Chris's. And you would have to confirm that, you know, it's Mark's Excelsior Pass that you're looking at, and not and not Chris's. Um, so you can imagine these these two cryptographically verifiable things coming together to have a digitally verifiable ID, and hanging off of that ID are these various other attestations that, you know, you sort of shuffle through dynamically based on what you want to do. So I could have then used that to show an Excelsior Pass, or I could do that to show a phishing license, completely different. In both cases, right, the, the person who's doing the verifying can not only prove the attestation, but they can prove that I'm the one holding it, right? And I, I think that's an exciting convergence that's coming together in the next few years. And then I'll, I'll tee up, I'm fortunate enough to be on two panels, I'll tee up something for my panel later on now to put on my, whoops, my put, on, put on my CVS Health hat we're working on an application that does real-time adjudication. So you go into a doctor's office, this is a very limited setting, go into a doctor's office, in our case a clinic. you check out if you have Aetna insurance, again, part of the CVS company, we're able to tell you then and there how much you owe, right? Not, not an estimate of it, but how much you owe, right? Your final patient responsibility. And, you know, again, these, these small but significant infrastructure improvements that improve patient care, improve the or improve the patient experience, improve the operational metrics as metrics of the business. Uh, you're you're going to hear more about that later, but those are some of the things that that you know are very real and uh, very near widespread rollout. Chris, well, I think those are great examples, and I think it kind of begs the question too of is society ready for this? And one of the things that uh, Mark and I looked at a few times when he was still with IBM is just generationally, how do these technology shifts start to stack up against where the population is? And uh, we had a, a meeting with a, a state, and it was interesting because the question they posed to us is, well, what should we be doing with blockchain type technology, with cryptography? Should we be taking payments and all this other kind of stuff? And you kind of look at it and you're like, wow, you know, geez, it seems fairly fairly forward thinking, and, and is society really ready for this? But then I'm going to go back to Web 1, Web 2, Web 3. When you start to look at the experiences that people have grown up with and the younger shifts, um, there's people today that really only grew up in a, in a Web 2 world with social media, where they were sharing information, where they were talking on patients like me about symptoms that they had. Uh, for them to share this kind of information doesn't seem that unusual. So it's a very minor leap for them to go to some of the things that Mark is talking about and using photography and identity and all these uh, Web3 concepts that for, I'm not calling anyone this room old, but I think <laughs> some of us are much older, 
Uh, for us, it's a bigger shift because we grew up in a pre-internet world. And so when you kind of look at the experience that all of us have had that got us to sitting here in the Austin Public Library today, um, it's a bigger shift. But for a lot of people, a lot of 20-year-olds, a lot of even under 30-year-olds, this is only one crank of the wheel. And they believe this is entirely logical and they're ready to go embrace all of this. Yeah, yeah we've spent a lot of time talking about this abundant future, assuming everything moves moves ahead correctly, that this trajectory is shaped in a way that's positive and beneficial. And I wanted to kind of have each of you project out 10 years, 25 years. Um, if everything goes well, what can we expect when we're patients interacting with experiences that are driven by blockchain? What, what does that future maybe look like? If everything goes well, yeah. Um, it, yeah, to, to, to build on that theme with another example from New York, um, nothing to do with blockchain, but New York this year did a pilot uh, around elder care, right? So elder care, where they put in the homes of, of, of this pilot group uh, who are elderly robots. It's, this is companion robots. They were, they were not caregivers. They were really like affection givers. So they kind of took the place of pets in an in, in emotional way. Right, and we see this as an interesting and early example, right, of how to solve some of the challenges of that we're going to see in society as our population ages, as uh, different demographic trends uh, take hold. Then simultaneously, in another part of the world, you saw a robot dog walking around with a loudspeaker on it, telling people to stay inside, right, due to COVID. You saw robots giving um, nasal swabs uh, tests to people, right, for COVID. So two very different visions of the future, what it could hold, what technology uh, you know, could bring. But I think, I think it's important to focus, while I don't want to downplay, I certainly don't want to downplay the, the draconian implications of this. I think it's important to focus on the future of abundance, right? And really say to ourselves, what could this give us if we, if we have the courage to let it, right? And it would be, you know, a world where healthcare is more transparent, right? A world where you could <laughs> leave a doctor's office or a hospital and know how much you owe, right? That's something that merchants could do for 2,000 years. <laughs> you leave the shop, you know how much you owe them. Why can't we do it in healthcare, right? And blockchain, again, could play a, a, a very specific role in this, right? It's not the entire answer. It's a tiny part of the answer, but it's a critical part of the answer given what it can provide. Right, trust and transparency and immutability, all of the things that we know and we like to talk about. So that's that's where I think that's where I think we're going. Well I think if everything plays out well, I think we'll create a new fabric upon which we can do things. And, and so that's a very consultancy thing, what does that mean? Um, today we do so much just specific use case and I'll talk about perhaps second supply chain. So we're creating solutions to solve, uh, to better manage the opioid crisis and new clearinghouses are being created. And then you've got DSCSA and pharmaceutical supply chain traceability, which is living independent of opioid conversations. And then you've got all payer claims databases that states are standing up to understand what's going on. And you, you could just go down a list and rattle off 
a million different data initiatives that are basically the same thing in their own proprietary way of looking at them. And what I think could be really powerful is through blockchain, through the incentives that you can start to create at a micro level, can we start thinking about data differently? And instead of having use cases and databases that just perpetually expand out, um, could we have a new way of exchanging and trusting data and looking at the healthcare system? And if you do that, then what could you do next? How much cost could you take out? Could you avoid the next opioid crisis, uh, which is going to be amphetamines? You know, there's any number of, of things that you could start to do differently when you don't approach healthcare as a use case and a data to serve a use case, but instead as a data fabric that you can then answer questions on top of. And what do you think? <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, some of what you're advocating for is, as we're in the earlier stages of applying this technology, all of us in the room, all of us watching online, should be investing more time in kind of ideating what some of the ideal future use cases are and then backcasting to figure out sure. how do we get there. Um, we have the opportunity now to make some of the right choices. Um, and I, I'd love to dive into that a little bit more and hear your thoughts on you know, how, how how would you advise us to kind of navigate the process to get to this better future? Um, some of what I think you talked about or, or alluded to was also bringing the right people together. Often this is in a, a camp of more technology experienced people. Are there legislators that need to come in, marketers that need to come in, um, and users that need to come in? So maybe, maybe dive in a bit to navigating to this ideal future. Do you want to take that one first? Yeah, so I'll maybe pick up on two things and, um, and then let you run with it. I mean, something that uh, when I talk with um, blockchain and Web3 companies, one of the things I talk to them about is uh, what are you doing on the legislative front? And if they kind of look at you and they don't have any point of view, then I don't take them very seriously. Because if you're not starting to uh, talk policy, um, if you're not part of a trade association or something like that, trying to shape how this can fit into society, then you're just a technologist kind of all spinning their own yarn. Um, so uh, there's a huge policy angle that, that's got to be uh, playing out. And then the other thing that you were alluding to, it's going to take a new way of thinking about how we come together. Uh, so, um, and I'm stealing one of Mark's analogies, so um, this is the danger you let me go first. Um, we're we're kind of in the, the prodigy in America online uh, moment in time right now before the internet came along. And everyone's creating their own proprietary things and everyone's got this vision about how they're gonna become uh, billionaires and get their third comma and all this other kind of stuff, right? And that's interesting, but we need to move past that. And uh, what's really gonna be powerful is when someone comes along and says, we're going to build the internet and you all can go try and create Prodigy in America Online and whatever other little proprietary things, and we're going to crush you. I don't know if it's going to be in six months or six years, but over time, a new fabric and connectivity layer upon which you go build enterprises needs to come to fruition. And um, I think that's going to be the big unlock of what we need to get to to really start turning this. Yeah, and I'll, I'll build on that by quoting from Einstein, which is, which is always a good thing to do, and say that you... You can't solve the problem at the level of the problem. 
right? And, and a lot of us grapple and try to do that. And that's where building these, these fabrics or networks uh, is important. And that's where Avenir comes in. You'll hear about that later. Uh, it, it's a project that's been going on for some time, but they are effectively uh, the internet of health the Internet of Healthcare. So it's a platform on top of which these other innovative apps can be created or developed. And CVS is a partner in this, as well as other big companies. Uh, but, you know, so it, it's important to have a path to scalability that doesn't involve, like, we'll build it and then sign up every provider in the country, right? right? Like, that's not, that's not a scalable path. But then it, it's also important to consider the economics it's one thing to say we're going to disrupt, we're going to disintermediate all these people and disrupt this, but that inevitably means that some of the parties today win and some of the parties today lose, right? And the ones that stand to lose fight back, <laughs> uh, perhaps not surprisingly. So it, it's how can we transition the economics from where we are now to where we could be in the future so that it doesn't involve immediately disintermediating or decimating these companies right in the middle. It's almost the web, we need to go to web 2.5 before we go to web 3. We need to go to tokenomics 2.5 before we go to whatever is next. So spend some time thinking about that, uh, speaking about, thinking about that, who loses, who wins, and can you shift, can you shift the benefit, right, at all to incentivize uh, parties to join who may not obviously want to. Fantastic call to action, I think, yeah. to end the panel on. And thank you both. Um, Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.